Howdy! Before we start today, just thought I'd throw something out there to let you know that we're coming up on our 150th show. Our sesquicentennial show. That's right, Scott. And to support the sesquicentennial, we're working on putting together some special new things for you, the listener. Uh, We're going to do a t-shirt, and we're going to give a part of the proceeds to go to some of the relief funds here in Texas from all of the recent flooding and rains. So if you'd like to help out Texas, if you'd like to look good while you're helping Texas, then follow this channel, follow our Twitter, and share the show on Facebook. And if you if you have friends that don't know what that word sesquicentennial means and you were around in 1986, you can join us in sharing the joy of sesquicentennial. And on that you know, and it's not too late. Um, if you have any particular memories of the Texas sesquicentennial celebration from 1986 uh, that we might like to share on our show, uh, please contact us and uh, tell us about it. We'd love to hear it. And now, here's the show. Gridlock in the Texas Legislature. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. On the podcast, we've talked about how Texas has had a pig war and a chicken war. And today we bring you yet another ridiculous war that helped define the history of Texas, the Archive War. But first, what's your favorite automobile featured in a texas movie well i'm gonna go with uh all right all right all right uh wooderson's car from dazed and confused the 1970 chevelle ss 454 um which definitely did not come out of the back of a comic book (laughs) i'm gonna take that car to houston to get aerosmith tickets (laughs) my choice is easy lone wolf mcquaid he's got an early 80s uh, Dodge Ram Charger, which was sort of their um, kind of a short suburban-y Jeep kind of off-road thing. But it was uh, souped up. It had a big blower in it. It had a crazy weird siren and uh, warm pearl beer under the dashboard. And apparently some sort of Night Rider-esque turbo boost that allows it, you to fly out of dirt. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. You couldn't... You can't even... you. Or was it the pearl beer that gave him that ability? I forget. It's kind of like his his spinach. It's like Popeye and his spinach. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to say that my favorite automobile featured in a Texas movie technically may not have been a quote-unquote Texas movie, but it was filmed partially in Texas City where I grew up. And uh, that car is the 1978 Silver Anniversary Corvette that uh, Jack Nicholson drove on the beach. Uh, in terms of endearment. Uh, I believe that scene was shot on the Texas City Dyke, and uh, that's why I like it. That movie actually features a friend of mine, uh, Shane Serwin, uh, who he played the younger child. He had a scene with Jack Nicholson when he was like four. <laughs> that's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, he, he's, he says every time it plays on TBS, he gets a tiny check. One of the things that is commonly overlooked in the story of Texas independence is the many capitals the young nation went through. Independence was declared on March 2nd, 1836, at Washington on the Brazos, a little village in the Austin land grant on the trail from San Antonio to Nacogdoches. It was here that the Declaration of Independence was signed, 
and the Texas Constitution was drafted. Things went well in this new capital until March 17th, when the provisional government learned of the fall of the Alamo and that Santa Ana was on his way. The government duly packed up its business and relocated to Harrisburg, a small town on the Buffalo Bayou off of Galveston Bay. They lasted there until April 16th, when Santa Ana's army burned the town to the ground. Again, the government made an escape, this time across the Bay to Galveston. After the Battle of San Jacinto, the government again moved to Velasco at the mouth of the Brazos, and Velasco served as the temporary capital until the Texas government moved to its first official permanent capital of Colombia, which is located slightly further up the Brazos. With each of these moves, all of the paperwork required for running this fledgling young country would have to be moved with the government officials every time. That's a lot of moves. Well, get in, get ready for some more. Uh, the capital stayed in Colombia for a whole two months. On November 30th, 1836, Congress met in joint session and decided to move the seat of government yet again because Colombia did not have adequate accommodations for the government personnel. It's a new town. You'd think they wouldn't put government stuff in there. Congress chose to move the capital to the newly rebuilt town of Harrisburg, which was now named after the hero of the revolution and its first elected president, Sam Houston. It should come as no surprise to listeners of this podcast that this was a controversial choice among Houston's opponents. Still, for nearly two years, largely through force of will, the capital and its archives stayed in the new town of Houston. In 1839, Mirabeau B. Lamar became president of the Republic. Under his influence, Congress authorized the establishment of a planned city to serve as the seat of government, moving the capital away from the edifice to Sam Houston's ego. The new capital, to be named Austin after the recently deceased father of Texas, would be built at the tiny farming community Waterloo in central Texas. The town was located at the edge of the frontier, right next to Comancheria, with no real roads and it wasn't near any navigable rivers. Supporters of the move, led by Lamar, argued that when the rest of the nation was settled, Austin would be the population center. Opponents, led by Houston, wanted the government to remain near the current center of the population along the Gulf Coast, preferably in a town named after certain former presidents. Makes but, sense. Not naming any names. Hmm. But there was no President Galveston. The Texas government archives were moved to Austin between August 26 and October 14 of 1839. Fifty wagons were used to transport three years of paperwork, with Lamar and his cabinet following on October 17. Over the next several years, there were several Comanche raids near Austin, and citizens in the Houston area, as well as the Houston Morning Star editorial board, used this as proof to support the argument that the capital and the archives should be returned to the fair city on the Buffalo Bayou. In September 1841, though, Sam Houston was re-elected president again. Lamar's vice president and Houston's opponent in the election, former interim president David G. Burnett, had argued on the campaign trail that Houston would move the nation's capital back to his namesake city. In this case, he was actually right. Houston assumed that the size of his margin of victory over Burnett meant that he had a mandate to implement his priorities, and so he sent a measure to Congress proposing to move the capital. However, on this subject, Congress continued to reject the proposals by Houston supporters to move the archives, despite the threat of Indians, Mexicans, and Richard Bullock's marauding pigs roaming the capital. Pig war. 
early 1842, Houston got his justification for moving the capital. In March of that year, Mexican troops under General Rafael Vasquez invaded Texas. By March 5th, over 1,000 Mexican soldiers were camped in San Antonio, just 80 miles from the capital. Several days later, a committee of vigilance was formed in Austin and recommended that martial law be declared and ordered residents to evacuate. Only a small number of people remained, and the president and Congress evacuated to Houston. Vasquez retreated after a few days, but President Houston may not have known this on March 10th when he ordered Secretary of War George Washington Hockley to move the archives. To justify this move, he cited part of the Constitution that stated, The president and heads of departments shall keep their offices at the seat of government unless removed by the permission of Congress or unless, in case of emergency and time of war, the public interest may require their removal. The military commander in Austin, Colonel Henry Jones, convened those citizens who'd refused to leave to discuss Houston's order. Public sentiment by that point was that Austin was safe since the Mexicans were already gone and that Houston's departure had created a lack of confidence in the city. They were concerned that the move would devalue the city's real estate. On March 16th, the committee decided that removing the archives was against the law, and they formed a patrol at a nearby town of Bastrop to search every wagon and seize any government records found. President Houston's private secretary, W.D. Miller, sent him a letter telling him that Austin citizens would, quote, much rather take their rifles to prevent a removal of the archives than to fight Mexicans. In order to settle the question, Houston called a special session of Congress on June 27, 1842, but Congress took no action to move the Capitol, so things stood where they were for the rest of the summer. In September 1842, General Adrian Wall led another Mexican expedition into Texas and once again captured San Antonio. Houston convened the 7th Texas Congress at the old Capitol at Washington on the Brazos and demanded that Congress support the removal of the archives, over the protests of the, quote, seditious citizens of Austin. In his opening remarks, Houston asserted that, quote, as to the propriety and necessity of the act, no reasonable doubt could exist. On December 9th, a bill was introduced, quote, to provide for the safety of the National Archives. Houston's supporters tried to get the rule suspended in order to allow the bill to pass quickly, but this actually resulted in a tie. Vice President A. Vice President Edward Burleson, who was actually an anti-Houstonite, cast the deciding vote that blocked the bill. On December 10th, another bill was introduced to move the General Land Office, which actually effectively doubled as the country's archives. Conveniently, the bill left the name of the city to which the office should be moved blank, which resulted in weeks of debate as to which city should be so honored. I'm sure that I'm sure that St. Augustine really wanted that those archives. <laughs> On December 10th, the same day that the land office bill was introduced, Houston privately ordered Colonel Thomas I. Smith and Captain Eli Chandler to move the nation's archives to Washington on the Brazos. He wrote that, quote, The importance of removing the public archives and government stores from their present dangerous situation at the city of Austin to a place of security is becoming daily more and more imperative. While they remain where they are, no one knows the hour when they may be utterly destroyed. He asked the two officers to raise a small troop under the guise that they were conducting an excursion against the Comanche, but they were actually to secure the archives and transport them out of Austin without anyone being the wiser. Smith led the 20-man expedition and their three wagons into Austin the morning of December 30, 1842. Presumably, 
They were only after the most important stuff in the archives, since it had taken 50 wagons to get them all into Austin in the first place. They were almost finished loading the wagons with papers when they were noticed by Angelina Eberly, who was the owner of a nearby boarding house. Eberly ran to Congress Avenue, where a six-pound howitzer was sighted to defend the approaches to the Capitol building. She turned the small cannon towards the General Land Office and fired it off. Although some of the shot hit the General Land Office, there was no real damage and nobody got hurt. Smith and his men left quickly with their purloined loot heading northeast to avoid the men patrolling the road through Bastrop. They accompanied... They were accompanied by two clerks from the land office who were tasked with ensuring that the records were not harmed or modified. Their progress was slow, though. They got caught in a torrential downpour that made roads almost as impassable as the roads had been six and a half years before for General Filisola after San Jacinto. The troop did manage to travel 18 miles before stopping for the night at Kinney's Fort along Bushy Creek near what is now today the city of Round Rock. I don't think you need to explain to Texans especially right now, about what heavy rain looks like. (laughs) In Austin, Captain Mark Lewis, alerted of the theft by Mrs. Eberly's cannon shot, gathered a posse to retrieve the archives. Some of the pursuers didn't have horses, and some weren't armed, but they were ready to go. They set out in the rain and made better time than Smith's party. The posse caught up with the archives in the middle of the night. They were undetected, as Smith hadn't posted any guards. The record is unclear about whether Smith's men surrendered the records to Lewis or took them back to Austin, but the end result was the same. On the morning of December 31st, the records had returned to Austin. The Texas House of Representatives formed a committee to investigate the attempted, quote, transferal of the archives. The committee admonished President Houston for trying to move the Capitol from Austin without the approval of Congress. A Senate committee reported that they did not agree that Austin should be the capital, but without an immediate threat to the city, Houston had no legal reason to move the records. There was no word of Bullock's pigs playing any part in this decision. (laughs) In 1843, the Senate voted that the archives should be moved if there was not peace with Mexico. The vote was yet again tied, but this time, for some reason, Burleson cast his deciding vote in favor of the bill. However, this time the Texas House itself rejected the bill, and the archives stayed where they were. Gridlock in the Texas legislature. Senate also passed a resolution encouraging Houston to move the government back to Austin, but for the rest of his administration, it remained at Washington on the Brazos, and Austin was almost deserted. Most businesses were closed, but the archives were still there. Finally, when Anson Jones was elected president, he moved the government back to Austin. On July 4th, 1845, a convention met in Austin to consider the annexation of Texas to the United States. And another result of the convention was that the government archives created in Washington on the Brazos were transferred to Austin, at last creating one single archive. Today, the lasting memory of the archive war is a statue of Angelina Eberly, which was erected in 2004 in downtown Austin. Without her quick action... The capital of Texas may not have ever returned to Austin. Well, there you go, people. Your government at work. Well, (laughs) not anymore. Yeah. There was a reason they were bankrupt. Well, it's funny. There was, you know, we did, um, way back when we did the story of the fracas at Dalyville, uh, there was, and, and then also just recently when we did the John Himes Livergood, there's a lot of shenanigans around, like, 
what city will be the the county you know the county seat and where the capital will be and people are not against loading up their weapons and getting on a wagon and just getting going and taking the records back yeah yeah middle of the night middle of the day they don't care it, it, it was prestigious deal it was you know the people of austin felt like they had the right uh to be the capital and um they were going to keep those archives because they knew if those archives left, then there wouldn't be any reason for anybody to come back. They were going to keep Austin weirdly archival. <laughs> I don't know. It, you know, um, it, it's funny that they put that statue of, of Angelina Everly up, though. Well, this, this episode has a neat tie-in back to our episode of uh, our episodes, I think, about the anti-Houstonites, about... Mirabeau Lamar and the anti-Houstonites and the vitriol and hatred of him (laughs) and that he did his very level best to feed that uh, in every way that he could. Hmm. Yeah, we're keeping the capital in Houston because it's named after me. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I can understand moving a couple of times like, you know, we haven't quite found the right spot yet or it's been here for a while, but, you know, things have changed. We need to move it, but the number of times that they moved it in such a short amount of time is yeah. boggles my mind. And the fact that they were, you know, I mean, I guess in today's day and age, it's like, oh, all these records are in the computer, so it doesn't really matter where we are. But back then, it's like that's the entire, that is the government, more or less. Yeah. Well, and it's funny that they moved from, like, Ramshackle Town to Ramshackle Town. There was no, San Antonio was really the only kind of built out city in this right. in the country. And it was like the doorstep to, Man- to the Mexican invasion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the one place, the one place that's like actually built up, you really don't, you can't have your government there. Yeah. But, but I think, yeah, the interesting thing is like the, Oh, well, when Texas gets built out, Austin will be the center of population. It's like, yeah, but Houston's like the third biggest city in the country of the United States. It's the biggest city in Texas. Clearly. It takes up a lot of space. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that live there. There's a lot of folks there. Well, I tell you, you know, Sam Houston episodes, they do not disappoint. <laughs> yeah, some of these characters had some interesting history, too, afterwards. Um, I think it was Mark Lewis who he was killed uh, trying to escape because he got in a feud with another lawman and uh, killed him and survived an assassination attempt. And then he was shot in the back trying to escape from his you know from being ca- after he was captured so it's one of those shot in the back kind of trying to escape deals that you talk about Mike that wraps things up for today you can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com we'd love to hear from you so like and share us on Facebook follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback you can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. You love this show. You love the Texas State Capitol, wherever it may be. Tell your friends and make them leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps us out to find new listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you, too, can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.